Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And this week, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we are covering Irish cases. Yes. I'm very excited. I love Amber's meals. It's becoming a thing. It yes. is. I think it's how we're evolving <laughs> to the meals. This Researching this was a lot of fun. I hope someday, if we don't already, have some Ireland listeners and they might even know about this one because there were some updates to it in um, just recently, mm-hmm. in recent years, should I say, that uh, might ring a bell for them. This case is about the very cold-hearted death of Mal McCarthy, and that's M-O-L-L, who lived in Ireland in 1940. But there's a twist because it is also a case about the wrongful conviction and execution of a man named Harry Gleason for Mal's murder. Oh, no. Yes. So technically, we have two victims and some crazy-ass circumstances that led to both of these poor people's deaths. Oh, my goodness. You know, I like to do things with a twist. Yes. A, a Except twist for is... the actual twist, I'm not great at that dance. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> so a dancer. You know. <laughs> not a dancer. Before I get started, I feel like we need to just congratulate ourselves we're drinking a little wine tonight we are a little glass and we're, we're actually raising our glass to all of our listeners because we have well over a thousand listens which is really big for a brand new podcast it is we have not we've been doing this for four weeks so thank you so much for listening yes thank you so much it's not possible without you guys and we sincerely appreciate your support and love Before we dive into our victim and the person who was convicted of her murder, I want to outline for you what was happening in Ireland because it becomes important for some of the theories surrounding Mal McCarthy's death. Okay. Okay. Now, remember, this is not a historical podcast, so please forgive me for my simplified explanation of wars and treaties, okay? I appreciate math. I will never, ever try to explain (laughs) math. Yeah, we will not be doing math here. History, I can tackle. Between 1919 and 1921, there was an Irish War of Independence going on between the Irish Republican Army, which was better known as the IRA. So remember that, Irish Republican Army. Okay. And the British rule in Ireland. So they're in conflict. Okay. On December 6th, 1921, the war was ended when a treaty was signed, and that was called the Anglo-Irish Treaty. And it recognized Ireland as an Irish free state, okay? But then there was a split between the supporters of the treaty and those who opposed the treaty. So there's people who were like, yep, we're all for this treaty. And then there's people like, nay, nay, Mm -hmm. we are not for this. And those that opposed it were still calling themselves the IRA. But it wasn't the same IRA that originally was fighting for the cause. Okay, so they're like a rogue IRA. And apparently they were pretty scary 
badass individuals. Really? Not badass in a way like, damn, that was badass. Like when a mom chews out somebody else for, you know, mm-hmm. harming their baby. Yeah, because the that cub. is badass. That is. But not like that. Like, oh, like bad. terrifying. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Like, gotcha. Yep. And I promise this is important information for later. So just remember that there are IRA members all around the country who are opposed to the treaty that's in place in keeping the peace. Okay. I will note that in my mental filing cabinet. Let's talk about the redheaded spitfire that was Mal McCarthy. According to the book The Framing of Harry Gleason by um, Kernan Fagan, which is where a lot of my info from the murder trial came from, I do recommend the book. He gave so much detail and information. So if you're a history buff, I think you'd really love this book. I found myself a couple of times having to reread it because he uses the names of everybody, which actually Mm -hmm. he was under a little bit of scrutiny later because he all but comes out and points to, I know the people who were responsible for Maul's murder. Okay. He stops just short of that by naming all these people. Mm Mm-hmm. So good, you know, good read, good book, especially if you're into history. I was into it more for the true crime than Mm -hmm. I was the history, but I could appreciate all the history that he gave. And I'm not going to give you a ton of detail about the town and the people and history that were connecting it all because I feel like you should get that information from Mr. Fagan's book. And he clearly did a lot of work for the meat of his book. And I don't want to take his meat. You don't want to take his meat. Yeah, we don't we don't steal meat (laughs) around here. Steal men's meat on crime curious and i literally wrote in my notes lol did i really just type that (laughs) keep your meat sir yes i won't be taking it today so so according to the book mal was born in 1902 her actual birthday is not known and and well documented but her birth name was mary mccarthy which is also the name of her mother I'm stuck. Can I go back for a second? How sure. How they don't know her birthday? I couldn't find information on that. It just kept saying she was thought to have been born around 1902. Gotcha. Okay. I, it, and I'm going to say this. I didn't take the time to figure out when actual um, birth records in, were in Ireland into were coming into play. Also, mm-hmm. she was born into extreme poverty. So... Could just be hard to find the info. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to let it slide for now. Thank you. I appreciate your... (laughs) No, it's just the first time it's ever happened. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate that. Your graciousness. (laughs) I have a pardon for the day. There will be no beheading of Charnel for her lack of information. You are forgiven. So like I said, her mom's name is also Mary McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the Mary McCarthy, who is the victim in this case, is better known as Mal. So that's what I'm going to stick to. Like, people knew her all around as Mal. As Mal. Okay. Yeah. She lived in a village called New Inn, which was located in Tipperary, which was a busy little town because it was located at the time because it was located between the main road that connected to other larger towns. Mal's mother, Mary, was a sex worker. You see, her own mother had died at a young age, so Mal's grandmother. And then when her father, Edmund, which was Mal's grandfather, remarried, there was a kerfuffle between Mary and the stepmother. I Mm -hmm. appreciate that word. I love a good kerfuffle. Thank you. 
Okay. I like to seduce you with my words. It works every time. During this kerfuffle where Mary and the stepmother, when they were having it, Mm -hmm. Mary ended up bitch slapping her stepmom with Mm. a hot poker in the face. A hot poker to the face. That's not okay. Yes. So naturally she was thrown out on her ass. Yeah, yeah, I could see. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. That'll, that'll do her. This is when she started sex work to survive and eventually birthed her own Mary McCarthy, who we now know as Mal. Okay. So that's a little background on, you know, where Mal's mother came from, mm-hmm. what her, her life was like. Remember, at this point in time, Mal's mom's out on her own. She's doing sex work. Mm-hmm. She has Mal and she's in strifes with her family. At some point, and it's not clear in history when, Mary, Mal's mother, and Edmund, her father, reconciled. Suddenly, bitch slapping stepmom in the face with a hot poker is not such a big deal, and you can live with us again. Okay. she's lit. So she forgave. It does the... not say anywhere that her stepmother was still alive oh, when, okay. when Mary reconciled back. with Edmund. Yep. So when Mal's mom reconciled with Mal's grandfather. I don't think the stepmom or would-be step-grandmother to mom was, was alive. in the picture. And if she was, it wasn't documented. Gotcha. But they live, all three of them live together in a cottage. Then when Grandpa Edmund died, Mal's mother inherited the little cottage. And Mal lived there with her mother, Mary, and also took to sex work. Mm, okay. So now it's it's going down the line. She did not get married. And at the age of 19, Mal had her... First child, a daughter named, you guessed it, Mary. Oh, stop. I, I, I shan't. <laughs> We've got three Marys living in a little cottage, okay? Mm-hmm. Ra- they were farmers, so they raised goats, donkeys, and greyhound dogs. The goats were a constant nuisance to the nearby farm that was owned by John C- Caesar because his go- the goats were constantly found grazing on their pastures. As goats sometimes do. As they will. Yes. They like to wander and they like to eat everything. So here we have this little, you know, this little cottage. When Mal's mother died, Mal inherited it. And just so you guys know, try saying it. Saying the word Mal. Oh, yeah. Is hard, especially for a podcast where you're trying to really accentuate your words so everyone listening on all different types of devices can hear you. I just feel like I'm making a strange noise. Like, (laughs) I can see that. And I have to contort my face like that, too. So I apologize, but that's her name. Her first child was Mary. What ends up happening is she inherits this cottage. She's connected to another farm, John Caesar's farm. This is all very relevant. She ends up having seven children total. Okay. Yep. All while being a farmer and a known sex worker in the small town. That's a really interesting combination. Yes. Farmer and sex worker. It gets more interesting. Her last child, this isn't the interesting part, but just bear with me. Her last child, who was named Peggy, died at only three weeks old. She had Mary, Patrick, Michael, Ellen, who was known as Nellie, and... There were, then there was, of course, Peggy. The other two names, you guys, I'm not going to name because I'm not confident that I know them. I found different names in different sources, and I don't like to... Like, misquote a name. For sure. 
That to me is very important Mm -hmm. to call people by the correct name. So I know for sure the Mary Patrick Michael Ellen, who was known as Nellie, and Peggy. But the other two kids' names kept being, and it's possible that, like how Ellen, they called Nellie. To me, that's two totally different names. Oh, yeah. So it's possible that the sources that I u- that I used for this research were referring to a nickname and never made it clear that that wasn't what their bi- birth name was. Sure. You see what sure. I'm saying? Yeah. So I just don't even want to go there because I don't ever want to give uh, non-credible information. Yeah. We won't even – we won't go there. And it's not totally important. She had seven kids. One died. That's yeah. what really is important to the story. Well, that's sad. Poor it Peggy. is. It is. She was a single mother – Times were hard. She would often steal twigs and kindling for fires, and she relied on a well for water that was actually on John Caesar's farm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mal was described as being very handsome. Oh. Not in the masculine way. She was a dish. Okay. Mm-hmm. A little, quite a little number. Back in the day, I wouldn't say little. They liked their women. Oh, okay. She was a robust. good-sized gal. She could bear Nothing the children. Wrong with that. She okay. had the child childbearing bearing hips. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ba- baby she, will pop right out. But she was a fiery little redhead. Okay. And, well, robust redhead. Robust, yeah, robust mm-hmm. redhead. Mm-hmm. Which obviously made her occupation a lot easier because she wasn't hard to look at. Mm-hmm. But it also elicited some envy around the village from the other women who weren't quite as handsome. Oh. If you're picking up what I'm putting down. Did they refer to her as handsome? I like that. They did. Handsome. Oh, yes. Many sources called her handsome. handsome. Cool. Mm-hmm. Which, by all accounts, in this day and age, to us means she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's just I've never heard that description. Oh, yeah, I have. Cases, so yeah, like, I, I have for women I before. I like yeah, it. I like it, too. So this envy was something that Mal escalated by her fiery, brazen spirit when she would give each of her children the same last name as their father. Mm. Don't you love it? So, and they were, I'm, I'm assuming you said different fathers, right? Oh, of course. Or, okay. It, it was fathered through so her they sex were like, work. <gasps> uh-huh. This is how a lot of women found out that their husbands, oh. brothers, pastors, you name it, fathers, sisters, uncles, were, cousins, uh, brothers, yes, yes, were uh, dipping their toes in another little area that they weren't supposed to be. I admire her. And I uh, use toes boldness. as a euphemism for a different body part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) Toes can mean many things. I loved it. I loved this little piece of information. Here you are paying me for sex when you're a married man Mm -hmm. and you knocked me up. So here you go. It gets better, too. She sent her children to the forgive me all of my Ireland people for the not graphing. The what he wasn't. Yes. It's got to be knock graphin. There's no other way in my English tiny little brain to say it. K-N-O-C-K-G-R-A-F-F-O-N. Knock graphin. We could put an accent on it, but I, don't, I think I, that, was, right. that was almost Scottish. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was for my brogue there, but it was, yes. Knock graphin. <laughs> Can you say it like that just from now on, please? I can, but I hope to God I don't have to. That was fantastic. (laughs) So Mal sent her kids to the same national school as their half-siblings. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. You mean the siblings that, like, were in their other families? Yes. Yes, Um, because 
because they were married. They all go to the same. Yes, they all go to the same school. You're getting it. You're getting it. I'm digging it. She's bold. In this, apparently not Graffin National School. Thank you. Which is where a lot of lawyer and doctor children's, lawyers and doctor's children would attend. And she would catch the other women staring at her children, looking for resemblances to their own husbands, brothers, (laughs) Uh and fathers or whatnot. And one day she was straight pissed when this happened. And she caused a bit of a scene outside of the school telling the women to look all they want because her kids are just as good as their kids. My girl. Ready for this? Here's her quote. After all, don't they have the same fathers? What? Yes. Bitch putting it down. Mic drop. Right? Mic drop. Back in the 40s. I like it. Well, it's the 30s at this time. But still, she is... I'm like just my kids it. are just as good to go here, and I love that she 100%. did have that mindset. Well, oh, I'm sorry, but they have the same father, so if it's okay for your kids to go here, it's okay for my kids. Damn I'm right, this girl. I know, I'm loving it. I know. I really wish I could have known her. Mm-hmm. Except, I'm glad I wasn't born in the 30s. I'm just saying. Ag- agreed. So, according to the book, one time Mal broke up a fight between one of her sons and another student, and told him to stop fighting with his brother. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to take a drink of wine. She was drinking when I said that. Right? She's like, knock it off. You're fighting with your brother. Right? Don't fight with your brother. <laughs> she knew exactly who had fathered her children and who their relatives uh-huh. were in that small town. And she made no There was no shame. About, there yeah. wasn't. Uh-uh. I like it. Me too. I, and I actually wrote in my notes, Mom McCarthy, you're my hero. She She's a hero. Just stick up for your babies Live any your way you can. Live your best life. Mm-hmm. And if hitting the mean, the original Mean Girls Club with straight facts to do it, and that's by what she all did. means, mm-hmm. do it. And also, it should be noted, she didn't have to solicit herself. It's not like Mal was standing on a street Begging. corner. Yeah. Men came to her. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Word traveled and they yep. came around. Came a-knocking. Yep. She had the body of Marilyn Monroe under that constricting old-timey get-up. Oh, I like it. And she used it to survive. Yeah. And seriously, when you see pictures, I yeah. gotta see some pictures. Of oh, her. I actually make reference to the type of clothes that women had to wear back then, so just wait for it. Okay. Now, obviously, the quote "good people" of New Inn had problems with the way that Mal made ends meet for her family, and there were some that often tried to bring her issues to her front door. In 1929, someone lit the roof of their cottage on fire. Ugh. Yeah, Mal and her at the time she only had Mary and Patrick. Okay, and they narrowly escaped with their lives. Oh, my gosh. And in case they tried to take refuge in a nearby outhouse, whoever set the roof on fire had also taken the roof off the outhouse so that they couldn't use it as a safe house. So there was always someone, in my opinion, not only trying to kill Mal, but off her children as well. I mean, a lot of hating for sex work. I mean, and also maybe take it up with your man. Yeah. Not with the woman who's just trying to feed her children. Right. I mean, there are bigger problems in the world. I don't, I mean, well. Yeah, but jealousy is an ugly, Mm -hmm. ugly monster. On occasion, there was a call to have her quote, and I shudder to say this word, illegitimate children taken from her and placed in an orphanage. But the judge at the time, Judge Sean Troy, spoke to the children himself and refused to take them away simply because their mother was a sex worker. 
because he saw that she was caring for them and that they were taken care of. Wow, I'm impressed Damn about that. straight Sean Troy. Being the time, I'm really mm-hmm. impressed. Yep. There were there was a lot of speculation that actually the um like the pastor at the local church had a lot to do with spearheading getting the trying to get those kids taken away. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. However, the townspeople with large sticks up their ass felt about Mao. She did make some really good friends. One was a highly respectable woman named Anastasia Cooney. She is another strong woman of the time. She actually drove an ambulance on the battlefield during the First World War. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Anastasia was a godmother to many of Mal's children, and she even laid little Peggy to rest in her family plot, oh, which I thought was very sweet. So sweet. Mal also made friends with people from the school kitchen who would often help provide leftover food from the school to Mal and the kids. Oh, see, there's good peeps yeah. around this town. Yeah. And she got six shillings a week from a welfare officer, and that same officer actually helped connect Mal to a nearby farmer, John Condon, for milk. So Mal got her resources. She, she utilized did. her support. She did. Good for her. She would also get the occasional bag of potatoes from a na- man named Harry Gleason. Remember we mentioned him I earlier. was going to say, I, I see that look in your mm-hmm. eye. He worked for free on the adjoining farm to Mal's property because his uncle, John Caesar, mm-hmm. owned the farm and he had no children. So Harry was going to be the heir of the property and kind of remember that detail. Okay. Okay. I had told you that Mal's little cottage connected with John Caesar's farm and that's where she gets her water. Yes. Harry Gleason is a nephew to John Caesar and he works and lives on the farm, but he's not paid for it. He's just working there because he knows basically he's putting in the work because he's going to inherit this gotcha. farm okay. someday. So he's like, I'm going to help out until it's mine. Mm-hmm. Yep. There were rumors that Mal and John Caesar had arrangements that involved their privates touching but honestly business like business arrangements like i'll give you this if you give me that okay but old-timey people would have said about any would have said that about any person that they saw talking to mal at the time sure okay yeah they're like oh she's sleeping with him right and john's wife actually became a big part of the trial that leads me to believe she did not think that her husband was engaging in anything perverse with Mm, mal okay Okay, so now that we have the background laid out, let's pretend that it's November 30th, 1940. Mal had a visitor at her cottage at 3.30 p.m. by a man who was a sergeant for the Irish police. They call them Gar- they call him Garda. So in the book, it's referred to Garda, but I am going to, for the sake of our listeners and ease for me, call them police. Okay. And his name was Anthony Daly. Daly. Sorry, it's not Daly. There is no I there. It's Daly. Daly. D-A-L-Y. Okay. Some accounts say that Dolly was serving Mal with a summons because the children had not been attending school. Okay. Mm. Other accounts say that he was there because he had newly moved to New Inn, which is the town, mm-hmm. and his wife had not joined him yet. So he wanted to get oh, I was like, I heard about you. with Mal. Yep. Either way, to this day, the visit has never been explained, but it does become a theory into her death later, so that's why I wanted to mention it. So after the visit, now it's 5.30, and five of Mal's children were at the home. She was dressed to go out. Now, that does not mean the same thing that it does to women today. She did not have her sequin top on that accentuated her supple bosom. Which is what I'm picturing. Right. And her heels that made her calves look like they were straight out of a Carrie Underwood video. Yeah, the, the, the booty pants. Yeah, the, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah, the booty lifting pants. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. What this means is that she had her typical clothes on that would provide protection against the elements. 
and it noted that she had mismatched shoes on. I don't know. It's been there. (laughs) It's a long story. I'll I'll explain later. Okay. Maybe our listeners would like to know. Um, I don't know what to make of that little detail other than maybe right before going out, she had like an unfortunate shoe mishap, mm-hmm. like a broken clog, but she wasn't about to let that ruin her night. Right. You know, so she... little quick, little backstory. Um, I was in a hurry going out the door um, and I slipped two different flats on and I didn't notice until I was like at Kroger's. So <laughs> it happens. And so many people. Everyone... I feel you, Mom. <laughs> Everyone sees you at Kroger, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So when she left her home, she did not tell her children, I'm picturing you walking through Kroger. (laughs) I didn't even notice until, like, I was in full action. And I was like, oh. Too late now. What am I going to do? I can't do anything about this. Sorry. (sighs) So when she left her home, she did not tell her children where she was going, but she said that she'd be back later that night. And that's the last time that anyone saw her alive. Oh, no. When she did not return, Mal's eldest son, Patrick, took a lamp and a dog out to look for his mother, and he did not find her. They know that she took a shortcut that was popular across a field that led to a path that ran adjacent to the Caesars farm property. Okay, so there's like this, this what I'm picturing what we would call is a hedgerow. Mm-hmm. So there's just this, this row, this well-beaten path. Okay, and there's a a part over the fence that's kind of broken down where people can cross it easily. Gotcha. Now, the next morning on November 31st, 1940, Harry Gleason was going about his regular morning shitty chores. And at about 9.30, he stumbled upon a body in a ditch that was actually, this ditch was actually used during the Independence War as a barracks only like 20 years before. So mm-hmm. it's... When I say di- ditch, it's really just like this barracks. Like a dr- if like you're drops, picturing, yeah, it drops, drops way down, okay. steep down. But mm-hmm. you know, grass is all grown on it, like a mound and everything now because it's twenty years later. But there's there's like this big barracks. Mm-hmm. He did not immediately recognize it as Mal because he had his own greyhound dogs with him, and he did not want to get too close. Remember how I said that Harry Gleason worked for free on his uncle farm, uncle's farm with the understanding that he'd inherit it someday? Yes. Well, he still needed spending money to survive. So Gleason raised and trained greyhounds on the side for money. He did not approach the body because he had his dogs with him, and on top of the body was a little black dog. <gasps> Stop it. I, I know. A, a dead black dog? No. Oh, oh. A lie. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm like, Good ah. clarification, though. <laughs> like I've said before, <laughs> smoke it out or whatever. Hey, kids. Sorry. But allergy season is upon us. Um, yes. Yeah, okay, so, so thank you for asking that question because I didn't. it didn't even dawn on me. Yeah, because I'm not know, knowing no. what to expect no, with this was, scene. It, it was, it was a, an alive <laughs> a live doggy. I have questions. I know. Hold on. Okay. Mal's doggy had found her and was <gasps> protecting her. My soul just left. I know. Perhaps I don't know. I I looked. I tried mm, to find. Dogs are so loyal. I love them. I know. Was this the dog that Patrick had taken out with him to look for her? And he found her. The dog found her. And they don't. They don't think so, but I just wonder if he let the dog out and she she really wasn't found far from her home. Yeah. At, at all. Yeah. So Gleason goes back to the farmhouse of his uncle John Caesar and tells him what he found. They call the police and the one who lived the closest 
actually he lived just above the barracks, was none other than the police named Anthony Dolly. And that's the one that had paid the visit? At 3.30. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just sit on that I wish one. I had a pipe. Like, hmm. I, I can see I can see your mouth just a little puffing. Actually, puffing. <laughs> puffing? Puffing it. Puffing. I like how you did that. Thank you. Okay. What they found... I'm suspicious. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Oh, yeah. What they found was very disturbing. Mal had been shot twice in the face at close range. She was missing her face nearly entirely. Oh, my gosh. One shot had severed her carotid artery. They could not recognize her at first because of the damage from the gunshots. Mm. But they suspected, based on the dog, that they had, you know, that it was Mal. Mm-hmm. Plus, they did, you know, recognize her body and, and, and dress, but it just, not at first was it like, oh gosh, that's for sure Mal, because there's a lot of robust women. It was her fiery right. red hair that they're oh. like, oh shit, this okay. is Mal. Dolly told Gleason to remove the little dog from Mal, so he did. Now he has, has Mal's blood on his clothes from picking the dog up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Investigators did determine that Mal had not laid outside all night because her clothing was not wet and it had rained nearly nearly all night on Wednesday night. Okay. So her body was moved and left in the ditch that she was found in. Now, when I say investigators did determine, that does not mean what I'm saying is that the police made that statement. Because what you're going to find in this case is that the police controlled the entire trial and investigation and did not listen to the coroner, the state inspector that that, um, looked at the body and does that. So when I say investigators determined, I'm meaning the state investigator that examined her body where she lay before Mm -hmm. she was moved. Okay. So let's get into that investigation a little bit. Once again, I don't want to take away from the author of the book, the framing of Harry Gleason. And his meat. So I'm I'm going to... He gets to keep his meat. Yes, I'm going to summarize things for you. And, I, and he wasn't the only reference. Any information that I'm giving you was confirmed by a few different articles in the Irish Post as well. Dr. James Connor. God, I love the names in this case. If I could pull off more of an Irish accent, I would. Because they have got just such amazing Irish yeah. names. Yeah. O'Connor arrives a little after 1 p.m. on Thursday. Her death happened either late Wednesday night or early Thursday morning. So he comes at 1 p.m. to examine the body, and he takes a temperature and does an assessment. He could obviously see that she'd been shot, but at this point, they don't realize that she was actually shot twice. And due to the stage of rigor mortis that she was in, and combined with her relatively high body temperature and the position that her body was in, She could not have been in the field very long before she was found. And she was found around 930 in the morning. Okay. So did they think that she had been killed possibly sometime sometime before, but she was dumped there? That is 100% what happened. Okay. When when I take you through this evidence from the state inspectors, that is 100% what happened. Mm -hmm. But that is not the story the police told, and that's not how it goes in the trial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Dr. John McGrath was the state pathologist that arrived from Dublin around 10.15 in the morning on Friday. So we have the initial Dr. O'Connor, who is the local guy, who does the initial exam. They covered her up with a white sheet, 
and just left her in the field until Dr. John McGrath could come in from Dublin. And that that was the next, that was Friday morning. Mm -hmm. So he does a a preliminary examination of Mal's body in the field. And then um, they took her for the rest of of it to the new in station for a complete autopsy. All right. The exam in the field included a body temperature check. Now, Dr. McGrath, he's the second state inspector. His assessment provided conflicting information to what Dr. O'Connor's examination had deduced, claiming that Mal had been deceased for up to 48 hours. Now, it didn't help much to explain, you know, how she died or whatever. But he had no explanation for the high body temperature that was taken by Dr. O'Connor on Thursday morning. And this becomes important for the trial because that is where the focus was put on, on trying to explain away the different findings between the two medical examiners. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking each pathologist's finding and accounting for alternative theories of Mal's last hours. Something that if the defense had done, then Harry may not have been found guilty. So instead, they're just like, instead of coming up essentially with alternative hypothesis, everyone is just acting like she was shot and killed right there in the field. Yeah. And, and so it's like, true. right. And so they're saying, well, Dr. O'Connor's body temperature reading must just have been off because she laid there all night because that's the last time anybody saw her was Wednesday night. No one had even like, began to look at alternative theories. The prosecution was claiming that Harry Gleason left his home that he shared with his aunt and uncle around 6 p.m. and intercepted Mal in the field, shot her, and left her. There was also a police report taken from a resident of the town named Tom Hennessy who claimed that he heard a gunshot come from that way over by the Caesar farm around that time. And he, like, signed a statement and everything. This is literally what they convicted this man on. The entire police investigation claiming that Mal's body had laid in the field all night and that someone had heard a shot come from Caesar's farm and that he had, you know, Mal's blood on his mm -hmm. body and all of all of this. So they, it's like they just put this all together and they didn't even really look into anything else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sorry if you could hear me taking a drink out of my wine, but it's yeah. really good. <laughs> so let's take a deeper dive into the state pathologist's findings from the second medical examiner, examiner, Dr. John McGrath. Dr. McGrath noted that Mal was actually shot twice. The first one was at close range to her neck, head, area, severing her carotid artery and her spinal cord. This was indicated as the likely cause of death. However, there would have been a lot of blood loss from this injury. Oh, yeah. And the amount of blood that was found where she lay did not correlate with that injury. So right now we have a lack of blood accumulation and the fact that her body was warm upon initially finding her to indicate that she was murdered at a separate location and then placed in the field. And you said it rained all night and she wasn't wet. She was not. Mm -mm. Her clothes were not. Now, right, she was also laid right where people frequently cut through, guaranteeing that she would be found. Now let's talk about her clothing. Mal was fully clothed when she was found in the field, right down to having her tweed coat and skirt buttoned all the way up. There was some blood splatter found on the outside of this tweed coat. And on the collar, like kind of stuck inside the collar, was a part of her lip and chin. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> like, sorry. For the gruesome detail, but it's oh, important I... for the theory. Oh, yeah. So that's why I mention it. She had a button-up shirt on and a corset-type thing that was pulled up to her nipples. 
The shirt only had blood on it from the same area as the coat at the collar. Mm. But the corset also had some on it, even though it only went to her nipples. Interesting. Now, her skirt had no blood on the outside, as one might expect, because this was a person who died by gunshots to the head. And it hit an artery. Right, right. But there was some blood on the inside of the very top of her skirt. So the part of her skirt that's touching her body. And the skirt had three buttons on it on the left side, but it was only fastened by a a safety pin at the top. Under the skirt, she was wearing a slip, and that was covered with blood on the front of it. There were no injuries to her lower extremities at all. Now, remember, the prosecution is saying that Harry Gleason met Mao while walking in that field, and he shot her dead right then and there while she was all buttoned up against the elements rocking her long tweed coat. So someone, please explain to me in the name of Buttermilk Milk Biscuits. <laughs> How? Did Molly end up with blood on her undergarments? Yeah, her her clothing had clearly been moved around mm-hmm. or tampered with in some way. So she had blood on her undergarments, but not on the inside of that highly stylish tweed coat. Uh-huh. I thought it was really cute. I'm sure. Oh, I can show you pictures. Actually, oh. if you look up pictures, you'll see how they found her. Oh, like really? they don't show her face, oh, but you can see you that can there's see. no face. Yeah. yeah. There was only blood splatter on the outside of the tweed coat. So, like, hold on a second. Why is there blood all over the front of her slip? No blood on her skirt, except at the very top on the inside that touches her body. But there was no blood, like, on her body. Like, it Mm -hmm. wasn't trailing down. It didn't trickle down. Mm -hmm. And none on her skirt at all, like the outside of her skirt, and none on the outside of her coat, except for a little bit of splatter up by the collar from her head injury. Yeah, so odd. And can I just say fuck the patriarchy that made women wear several layers of clothing at this time while they got to walk Uh, around in trousers and a cotton tee and some suspenders? Can you imagine walking around in a corset like no big deal all day? Oh my god, my nipples cringe just when you say corset. No. Also remember that I told you her clothes were completely dry, even though it had rained on Wednesday night. Yeah. And that is the night that the prosecution claimed Harry had killed Mal. Now, the next bit of evidence is compelling as well. There were pellet marks on the left shoulder of the coat. That Next to it were also some bone fragments just laying around Mal's head and shoulder on the ground. All right, mm-hmm. you've got to picture her laying on the ground. So Fagan in his book points out that this is all evidence that suggests that Mao was obviously murdered in a separate location, but not while fully dressed. This was evidence to show that she had recently engaged, there was, excuse me, there was evidence to show that she had been recently engaged in sexual activity. Okay, I was going to ask if that mm-hmm. had been proven. But also the evidence suggested it was consensual. Okay. So, so that's good. Fagan suggests that Mal was only half-dressed when she was killed, possibly beaten before she was killed, which would account for the blood found on the front of her slip. Then she was redressed 
but albeit in a lazy way, is it really so hard to say, button three buttons? Like the safety pin yeah. on the slip. That's a like a clueless dude move. <laughs> I mean, I'm not labeling. <laughs> sure. But that's, I mean, I just feel like that's right. an amateur at work. So then he's suggesting, Fagan's suggesting that then she was moved to the field and put right where someone would find her, but it likely took more than one person to move her considering that she was such a robust woman and Mm -hmm. at this point it's literal dead weight yeah okay it's not just one man doing this then it's also theorized that mal was shot a second time in the face after she was already discarded in the field to perhaps cover up the fact that she had been beaten prior to the murder or there is also rumors that perhaps it was indicative of someone who had a personal hatred of mal or women in general which isn't too far-fetched either, given her savory rep- reputation, and just shot her right then and there as a one last mm-hmm. hurrah. Because, think about it, they found bone fragments and skin on the ground, and her second shot was like to, you know, the side of her face where her like lip and jaw was, which is why it was in, in the collar. So she was shot after she was placed there, clearly. After she was laying down, yes. By somebody. She was killed at a separate location possibly beaten beforehand because the blood that was found on the slip still isn't indicative of the gunshot wound that severed her carotid her carotid artery and her excuse me went through her carotid artery and severed her spinal cord okay Mm -hmm. so they believe that she was beaten prior to being murdered so it is possible that she was beaten for information or just for sport but we will get into that in a second the prosecution claimed in the trial that mal was murdered while standing up But none of the blood evidence or the body evidence points to this. Where the defense went wrong is that they did not focus on what the evidence fully suggested and instead tried to use the different body temperatures taken by the two pathologists to argue that Mal had to have been killed on Thursday morning right before Harry found her, which if that had happened, he had an alibi for the entire morning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where the defense is going. This had to have happened on Thursday morning. Her body temperature was so high, and he was seen by people all over Thursday morning. Yeah, okay. But even still, let's get into how Harry Gleason went to the gallows for something that he didn't do. Only nine days after Mal's body was found, Harry Gleason was arrested for murder. Nine days. He was questioned only twice during the investigation. One interview took over 13 hours and took place in his uncle's sitting room. He was never told that he was considered a suspect, so he did not feel the need to get any legal counsel at the time. Okay. So he, because he, I mean, obviously you said he didn't do it. So he knew he was innocent. He was probably not worrying. Right. He told them that he had known of who Mal was for 16 years, but only personally knew her for 13 or 14 years when he came to live and work on his uncle's farm. He explained that he would see her getting branches or water or fetching her goats that had gone astray. He also would allow her little twigs when they cut down large trees, knowing that she needed it for kindling. So Mm -hmm. he's always kind to her and friendly. He denied ever engaging in a romantic relationship with her like the other men in town had. He also admitted to sometimes throwing a bag of potatoes over her fence that her aunt mm. that his aunt and hunk, uncle didn't know anything about i mean he was working on a farm for free mm-hmm. that's right. that's a good man i'm right. sorry i would not work on a farm for free he told them all about his whereabouts the day before mal was found and the hours leading up to the the point that he found her and his story never changed he had an alibi in tommy reed the wednesday night that police were fixating on claiming it's when when mal died tommy reed was 
his alibi for Wednesday night. Okay. Tommy Reed's statement to the police matched exactly what Gleason had said as well. And that was a problem for the police. So they did what any law-abiding, totally decent police officer who is just trying to do an investigation to get the full truth does. They beat the ever-living shit out of him until he changed his story. What? Yep. Saying No. Saying he changed his story saying that he wasn't with Gleason to provide an alibi, but also stating that he knew Gleason was the father of Mal's seventh child, Peggy, who had passed, and that he didn't want that knowledge getting out, that Gleason didn't want that knowledge getting out. So now the police have taken away his alibi to the jury and simultaneously given him a motive. Because they're like, yeah, he was the father of the seventh child. This is Mal horrible. had never told anybody yet. The baby was only three weeks old when it died. Uh-huh. So she hadn't told anybody who the father oh, was yet. Oh, gotcha. Then, so they're just creating the story. Yep. Then they had the after beating story written down and signed. All of that took like 13 hours. They interviewed Tommy Reed for like 13 hours and beat him the oh whole time. Oh, my gosh. And it was led by, that interview was led by Anthony Dolly. Mm, how uh-huh. shocking. Right. It was Gleason's aunt who noticed the rigorous beating that Reed had taken. And just so you know, he did file charges against the officers. Good. But it was at that moment that a lawyer was fetched by Gleason's aunt, who was Bridget Caesar. That was her name. And that's where the trouble really started because they got a lawyer from outside of town who weren't controlled by the police Uh anymore. The trial started February 17th, 1941 against Gleason. The lawyer they actually... That actually, like, represented him was John Timoni, who even ends up representing Reed in the case against the police who had beat him up. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Timoni had been on the opposite side of the IRA in the Independence War. And Timoni was actually the great-grandfather of of Fagan, who wrote the book. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he, like, had a, a vested interest in this. Yeah. Which is another reason why I don't want to take all of his meat and potatoes. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I think we can see from the investigation that was set up from the beginning, it was against Gleason, but why? Fagan boldly points out Anthony Dolly's connections with the IRA. Remember, they were not for the treaty that was made. And it is suspected that Mal was an informant for the IRA. Someone, or all likely some persons, were concerned for what Mal might have been telling the IRA against the irish government oh wow okay Mm -hmm. because she had customers from both sides yeah yeah some other notes on the trial they never called bridget or john caesar to testify and they never asked questions questions on the stand of mal's oldest son patrick who went and searched for his mother that night in that same area that she was because it was like i said a well-beaten path he walked there that mm-hmm. night. She wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mal was not laying there all night. I was just, I was thinking that earlier and I didn't want to jump too far ahead, but did anybody ever ask the son about, because he went out looking for right. her. On the stand, he was not asked the correct questions to disprove what the police was set up they said for that, the, the, yeah. the prosecution. Yep. There was also a report from a local man who claimed he heard one gunshot come from near Caesar's farm Wednesday night. And it was discovered that another local man admitted to shooting a cat. So this information was actually intercepted by Gleason's lawyers. So they're like, awesome. We're going to file. Yeah, we've got leads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to, they actually, this was after the trial. So like, we're going to file appeal, an appeal based on this information. You're gunshot. 
that you said, you know, that you had this guy write and say he heard? It was, it was to kill a cat. cruel man killing a cat. Yep. So in the time that it took them to, to file the appeal and have the actual appeal hearing, the man changed his story. So who had got to him? That is a good mm-hmm. question. It was also discovered later that two men admitting admitted to hearing two shots near the IRA Heidi house. Oh, you don't say. Thursday morning. But they never came forward. Well, they were Why probably scared. That is. Yeah. Exactly. It is theorized that many of the residents of the town were suffocating under remaining silent out of fear of the IRA. Oh, sure. The police, or even just being seen as going against the Irish government at all, because there's the people that are for the government, and then there's the IRA. The police also also capitalized on the little admittance that Gleason said he once gave Mal a sack of potatoes and claimed that she had planned to meet him that night for intercourse and potatoes. The police even testified testified to finding a sack of potatoes in John Caesar's farmhouse. Well, yeah, you're going to find a sack of potatoes. He's a farmer. Right, in any... Okay, I'm guilty, too. I have a sack of potatoes, too. me, too. Also, it should be noted that they claimed the gun used to kill Maul belonged to John Caesar, but the ballistic forensics just weren't what they are today, and gun registration was not a thing as well. The trial only lasted 10 days, and the jury only deliberated for two hours. The jury was made up of all middle-class men from Dublin, Because, of course, women weren't allowed to be on the jury at that time. Again, I say, fuck the patriarchy. April 23rd, 1941, Harry Gleason was hanged from the gallows. (gasps) That quick. This happened in November. If that isn't shady as F. In April. Yep. That's the quickest, like, death penalty Uh sentencing I've ever heard of. Yep. I want to pull. Exactly. It was quick for their time. I want to pull a piece of sound film off of our studio. I'm not going Don't, to. It was just put up. But it's it's the principle. I oh my gosh. So I think you'll I think you'll like this though. Harry Gleason's last words to Sean McBride, the other that was the other lawyer that was on his case mm-hmm. on April twenty second, nineteen forty one. So the day before he was hung. Quote I rely on you to clear my name. I have no confession to make, only that I didn't do it. That is all. I will pray for you and be with you, if I can, wherever you are, fighting and battling for justice, end quote. Oh, Harry. That justice, to clear his name, took all the way to 2015. Wow. But Ireland did issue their first posthumous pardon to Harry Gleason's family. I want a slow clap. I know. We need to insert sound effects. We do. I'm going to say this too, though. I'm just so glad it got cleared, even if it took all that time. time. Although initially it was issued to Henry Gleason, something that the family felt slighted about, of Um, course. Yeah, I would Um, too. Oopsie. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, people. Clerical error. (laughs) You had one job. (laughs) Henry, Harry. All right. It took a very long time to gather all the actual evidence and ask the hard questions of those who lived in the 40s and of the families who had deceased relatives involved. But there it is. It's possible that Mal was an informant for the IRA, and that's what led to her demise. Hell, it's even possible that the father of the seventh child wanted her brazen ass to remain quiet about his involvement with her and snuffed her out. We don't really know. But we do know that Harry Gleason was wrongfully executed for her murder. Gosh, that's so horrible. Yes. Again, I'm thankful that he got his name cleared, even if it took all that time. Right. Me too. Isn't that a crazy case, though? 
But Ireland, you'd be crazy. I mean, just the undertones of covering up and assuming and like getting it done and mm-hmm. over with. It screams that, that fast authority. Oh, yeah. And there's involved. a lot more. You guys go ring, read the book, read the um, many, many, many news articles from the Irish Post. They did a great job. Um, as well, if you want to learn more, I just really didn't want to steal all his mm-hmm. hard work because this sure. is his great grandfather's legacy. Yeah, he was that's the lawyer. Kinda, that's really neat yeah. that he wrote this book. Yes. He has history with the case. Yep. So, are you ready for a brain bath? I am so ready after that. I found another Rolling Stone article because mm. I just we really blessed. like those. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. It's quick. It's a quick one. Okay. A robber in Chicago faced the ultimate punishment. When he shot his own dick. <laughs> Were you expecting me to I say mean, that? I shouldn't laugh because that would hurt really bad. It would. He circumcised himself. Ooh. But hold on. It gets so much better. So what happened was 19-year-old Tyrion Pouncey. Oh, what a name. I know. He held up a hot dog stand. Oh, my God. There it is, you guys. A hot dog Get stand. Out. And he shot his own his, hot dog. His own wiener. He did. During the like yes. the yeah, so he robbery. Held, yeah, he held it up. He was he was holding up the hot the wiener stand with the, a gun. The sweet, delicious irony right. here. In the West Pullman neighborhood on the city's south side, shortly after six AM. After snatching the cash, he made a break for it and the gun accidentally discharged into his Ouch. own wiener. Yeah. He was taken to um Christ Medical Center and then he was arrested. No, and nobody I'm, likes a broken I'm wiener. I'm unsure of the functionality of his wiener. I don't know. <laughs> they should have followed up. I could write him and just be like, how's it hanging? Yeah. <laughs> a little shorter. But, yeah. you know, he's not sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What so was his last the... name again? Pouncy. Pouncy. Tyrion Pouncy. This whole thing is just great. I know. We've got a lot of great names this episode. So. Oh, that's gr- I am so glad you found that. Me too. I liked that one. We hope you keep it curious and keep listening. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram. On Facebook, we're Crime Curious Podcast. On Instagram, we're Crime.Curious. On the Twitter, we're Curious Crime. Or you can go to our website and listen to us anytime. Also, it really does help us if you like comment on the stuff that we post or share it Mm -hmm, or do any mm -hmm. of those things. It tells the the algorithm gods that hey we like these people and so we want to put it into other people's news feed as well and maybe they'll like us and it's all just really good things to help us grow so we can keep doing this for free because we are doing this for free yes yes (laughs) and make sure um there is a nice healthy number two coming out this week so (laughs) irish case number two there there is amber will be dropping a real nice number two for the irish cases (laughs) so stay tuned for that yes please bye guys bye